company. The company you keep is your army. Amen. The company you keep is your army. I'm not talking about your church. I'm talking about the company you keep. We're not the only company you have. The Lord can don't get it twisted, okay? <laughs> Do not get it twisted. So, yeah, the company you keep is your army. Now, why do we say that? Well, because we pick associations based on certain things. You, know, you have people that you associate with. You're drawn to them for a specific reason. And when God draws you to people, you become associates of theirs. You associate with them. You have fellowship with them. You have companionship with them. You give them your time. Give them your energy. So then you develop a bond with certain people based on certain things that you are, you perceive or you're drawn to. The nice thing about being in God's kingdom is that he will develop a new company for you, but you have to make the right connections with people and you have to maintain those relationships and you have to understand why God has put you in a different company. Number one, you're in a different territory now. You're in the kingdom. So you're not going to have the same kinds of relationships that you had because the ones you had in the past, many were not beneficial to you. And we all know that. However, there are some situations that you may find yourself in where you'll start longing for the old company. And so this is what we, we want to address is that, that uh, desire to be drawn back based on certain things that you consider to be important or certain considered things you like. We all like certain people. You know what I'm saying? We all have our own standards for how we choose our company, how we choose our associations, how we choose these things. When you come into God's kingdom, though, you have to understand that if you're a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away. God has a new plan for your life, something you've never experienced before. And the new plan includes new associations. It includes new ways of associating with people. It includes new uh, um understanding of why you have friends, why you have associates, why do you have people that you share your life with and, and this kind of thing. You have them because God is building up a system of support for all people and he wants you to be in the right support system so that when your time of need comes in your life or your time of stress or even in good times, you you want to be able to draw from that army of individuals because they do support you and surround you in the same way that a fighting force will. And whether you survive or not depends, you may not think it does, but it depends very much on your associations. And I'm not talking about church people because you know how we are in church. We can smile at everybody for about two hours. You understand what I'm saying? And then we often run into our real. 
you know, it is unfortunate <clears throat> that people don't value the right relationships and value the right qualities and abilities in people that they relate to. And so the more we can do that and the more we can examine our associations based on whatever it is that God has called us to do and not so much on who we think we need to be around or, or why do we like this person or not? Why do we not like that person? Uh, why do we dislike people? Why do we uh, choose and gravitate towards certain individuals and not toward others? I think we can understand more the importance of friendship, the importance of association, because you, we are all surrounded by a spiritual atmosphere. That atmosphere is designed by God to nourish your life. It's designed by God to help your life. It's designed by God to support the Christ life that he has planned for you. And so as much as we can respect the fact that God has an atmosphere that he wants to place us in so that we can grow, so that we can be strengthened, and so that we can we can live a good life. It, this is not just about surviving difficult times. This is about uh, uh, keeping yourself in an atmosphere where even though there's difficulty, it seems to be looming, you're not moved by it. You got me? You're not disturbed. You're not, your composure is not uh, threatened in any way. And you can go on living just like you live without the pressure and without the danger and without the threat. If you could treat every day and have a joyful day and let every day be the same, to me that's a good life. You know, I'm, I, it, I don't get excited if I get unexpected bills. I mean, it, I mean, like excited in the sense that it, I feel like life has taken on a whole new drama for me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's nice to be able to live in a peaceful, even keel all the time, to be able to feel free to enjoy what you have without condemnation, fear, anything like that looming in your atmosphere, not without threat of being it being taken away from you. Uh, you know, illness can cause people to make an abrupt change in their lives and the way they live their lives. And, you know, people say, well, I don't need nobody and all that. Yeah, but you haven't needed them yet, you think. And see, we do need people just to survive every day and keep a healthy atmosphere around us. It'll shock you, the wrong people coming up to you uh, with the wrong spirit on them and how much that can dig into your heart and, and disturb your life. And so when we talk about your company becoming your army, you have to realize that God is building a support system around all of us that will take us through good times, bad times, up and down times. You need people around you who can rejoice with you when you rejoice, when you're happy about something. You want people around you who can be happy with you. When you're you're discouraged about something, you can need people who can undergird you in prayer and encouragement and that kind of thing. Uh, because this world can get to be a very hostile place 
if we're not placing people around us and selecting and choosing to be around people who support and encourage the God life in us and not some carnal life or some emotional thing that we think we want to do. So I was thinking about this and, and uh, I, I kept going back to David and <clears throat> and his life and, and how uh, a group of men that seemed to want to be around him before he was even king wound up being his army and his support system in the army of the nation of Israel. And this can happen in any situation. People who surround you when you're small, a nothing and a nobody, or surround you in times of trouble will wind up, if if you keep that relationship together, will wind up being an army for you and a strength and a support for you. Uh, uh, Jan, when you were just mentioning to me about your friends, how long have you, now Jan has long-standing relationship, then there's some people that come and go in your life. You've been serving God, I know, over 40 years that I know about. And see, she has a group of friends that she ministers with, and you would no more break fellowship with them than you would, you would yourself humble yourself and die to what you want rather than to break that bond. Yeah, because God has put that together for them. And they are a strength to one another. When you all go to preach in different cities or to witness or pray or whatever God has you do, you all stick together. You don't bicker. You don't fight. You don't, you know, I'm not saying that hasn't happened, but it's all good now. Amen. Amen. <coughs> yeah, that's right. And so you have to, you have to, to cultivate this understanding of relationships being important and treasure and value them because that person is your assigned army. You got me? Especially if they are right spiritual connections. But whether they're right spiritual connections or not, your fellowship and those associate that you associate with, they will be your army. Amen. Whether they're a raggedy army, a functioning army, a, a good time only army, that's your support system. That's your backup. Those are the people who are going to fight for you and with you. Those are the ones who will see you through the difficulties that life challenge, will challenge you with. Um, learn how to trust God in relationships. You know, people, people will say things like, um, well, pray for me. Uh, God knows my need. Well, you're not trusting. You're not even trusting God. You understand what I'm saying? That's somebody who's so fearful that they don't even know how to express what their need is. Or, or you know, being in a religious atmosphere, you have to watch how you phrase things to certain people because you know they're going to try to correct you every time you say something that don't sound holy enough to them. You know, we got the confession police out after you. Huh? Well, don't say this. That's the same thing. Now, see, we we accept it in the church, but look at what people in the world do. Liberal people are always shutting up people who want to talk for God. Amen? So that same devil works in the church and the world.
See, if you're a spiritual person, you'll know how to encourage that person that everything is all good. You understand what that need is. And you don't have to beat them up and correct their confession in order to come into agreement with them. (laughs) That we're going to fight the devil. You understand what I'm saying? And so we... We do have to be God-yielded in the way that we select company. You have to be God-yielded in the way that you relate to your company. Uh, you can't get um, uh, overwrought about people. And I know sometimes, you know, people, you get dealing with people and it's the same thing over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying. And you get tired of that same old, same old. And when are they going to wake up and understand what's going on? And this never changes and that never changes. You know what I'm saying? But we have to leave us out of it and understand how important it is to foster good relationships. The Bible says as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. If you can't live peaceably with them, then you just part company, but but do it in a way that they're not rejected and they're not put on the shelf somewhere. Make attempts to bring peace back into that relationship. I was thinking about that recently. I The church that we got thrown out of when we first got started, I was thinking about this over the years off and on, and I said, Lord, I need to write him a letter just to uh clarify things and apologize if he felt offended by something that we were doing there that we taught or whatever whatever and uh so i finally broke down and wrote the letter and he immediately wrote another reply back and he said oh, i just can't i don't really remember what happened you know what i'm saying i mean that's your way of saying that. <laughs> you know what i'm saying and to me it doesn't matter you see what i'm saying the important thing is it doesn't matter the details. You don't have to rehash everything. But the important thing is that you make that gesture to bring peace into a situation because God wants peace among his people. And so we have to consider all of these things in your associations. Do your associations bring peace to you or are you striving with them all the time? Huh? If it's a little bit of strife, you're either going to have to put that thing on the shelf, ask God to help you straighten it out, or God, is this person right in my life? Because it seems whenever we we just continue to butt heads whenever you understand what I'm saying. Now, those carnal relationships you can do without. You want to make sure that you have spiritual relationships in your life and that those relationships are ordained by God. Sometimes there's strife because of the amount of time you spend together and how that time is spent. If there's no grace for you two to have that kind of fellowship, then you have to find a fellowship where God will grace you to be able to be in agreement, in sync with one another. You know, some people you just can't spend a whole lot of time around them. Amen. You wear each other out. And so we have to keep those things in mind because God is building through your associations an army of support for you in your time of difficulty. 
and God will will put that together the way he sees fit to bring it together. So we're going to talk about David's <clears throat> situation. Amen. Remember that those that you surround yourself with with become a fighting force in your life. You are backed up and supported by those you fellowship with. And fellowship means you have some agreement and you spend time together. They provide the atmosphere that you draw from. They are your company. So in choosing your company, what do you look for? Amen. And prayerfully, by the end of this teaching, you'll start to look for what God wants you to look for. And quit looking for what you think is important in your life. Amen. You just let God develop a company around you. And those people will be in a support and an encouragement and also a, a, sh- a sharpening for you. Amen. So that you can grow. So in First Samuel chapter 22, we can go there. <clears throat> Verses 1 and 2. It says, now David, uh, I'll give you a little back background here. David was anointed king right after he had the uh, encounter with Goliath. Uh, Saul had did not please God, and so he's being fired as king over Israel. Amen. Uh, the only thing is Saul is is attempting to kill the future king. That's very common in those kinds of situations. You'll see many times people wanting to hold on to what they want, not wanting to let go of it, even though God has removed them and wants to put somebody else in that position. You'll see, if you look in the workplace, many times you'll be in a, a work environment that's not what I call healthy, in that there's a lot of bickering, a lot of gossip, backbiting, all that kind of stuff. And if you look around, you'll see some kind of disturbance with the leadership. The leadership is somehow either off balance or can't quite can't can't quite correct things that need to be corrected, uh, either with themselves or with the way they run things or something is causing people to be a little disgruntled. And so whenever there's a shake up in leadership like that. Uh, know that God will have to get that straightened out and he will have to select the people that he he desires to have in those positions. And that's what has happened here. Because Israel is a nation that God pulled out, God chose their patriarch Abraham and and Abraham's seed through his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob then God has already ordained these people that he would be their God. So God is going to choose whoever's in charge, and they're going to have to please God in order to stay where they are. But King Saul is is not wanting to have that change happen. Saul knows the rules. He knows the law. He wants to be disobedient and yet stay in office at the same time, and God's not going to have it. 
So God has Samuel go and privately anoint David as king. But David is a young man and he has to be developed as a king. Now the way God develops us is through our associations. We grow through the atmosphere that God places around us. And so David then has to be, he still has to be groomed by God to be king. This is something people go through a lot in in their Christian walk. Oh, I got a prophecy. God called me to do this and I'm a this and I'm a that and I'm a this and I'm a that. Well, it's good to confess that and embrace that as a call. But the the steps that you go through to be established in that will have to be ordered by God. Now, if you're if you're honest with yourself, you'll say to yourself, I don't feel like no apostle. I don't feel like no pastor. I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. God, help me. And see, many times that's the missing prayer in a lot of messed up situations that we observe in God's kingdom. It's the God help me to be what you called me to be is missing from people and they go and assume, amen, an office. They go and assume, you know, they'll go and hang around people that already have a flock and try to shave some people off of that flock, amen, and steal a few people here and steal a few people there. Or now there's social media. You can be anything you want to be on social media you understand what i'm saying and so when we understand these things we'll 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 get an understanding of how god develops a person how god gets you to the place where it's it's not just a call and a name that you're named but there is evidence and there's fruit there's results there's power there's actual work that you do and accomplish for god and and you can see a success there because you see what God has done through you. So there has to be a growth in David. Amen. Now he can't grow in the palace. That's where he originally was. You all know that, that Saul took a liking to him because he killed Goliath. But after they began to sing songs about David and, and Saul didn't look as good. Amen. And God took the anointing away from Saul. Then we have a man sitting here in a uh, an office in name only. And when you see people like that, you definitely have to leave them alone. See, everybody thinks because my boss don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to do this and they don't know how you can disrespect them. Huh? You can not come on time if you don't want to. You can gossip about them and try to put them down. If they're there in name only, even more reason to leave them alone. You don't point the finger of accusation. You don't give them disrespect. Huh? You don't try to have something smart to say to them every time they talk to you. Huh? Why? Because they're the boss. Whether you like it or not, they're the boss. And they probably outlive more people trying to move them out than you can. If they did the same thing to you, you go home whining every day and refuse to come to work. 
Just that entitles them to their position. Longevity means a lot when you talk about people holding responsibility for things. Amen? So if anything happens with King Saul, it's going to have to be God's doing and 100% God's doing. And David knows that. See, David, for all his youth, is smart enough to understand what the what the system calls for. And so God's going to have to teach him and train him to hold on to that understanding of the sacredness of that office that he aspires to, even though somebody sits there that's not really doing what God wants them to do. And this person is trying to kill him. And so the fact that Saul now is chasing David, trying to kill David, puts a a kind of an upset on the nation of Israel. And we have people now who are splitting off into different factions. There's a faction of the army that follows King Saul. They're doing it out of whatever motivation they have, out of loyalty and obedience and all that kind of stuff. But then there's the faction of the disgruntled. Amen. These are not people that David has called to himself to follow him. They are the disgruntled in the place. Now there's a place for disgruntled people. Amen. Especially in times of transition. You know, there are times when people, you know, people do some crazy things in church life. And, and people can get upset with leadership and leadership is falling apart. But then there's always loyal people. They feel like they've been called by God to be an army for that person that's still there. And then they're the disgruntled ones who feel like they're called to do whatever and they split off and everybody goes their ways. David, because of his position of running from Saul and also because he's a skilled warrior for some reason people start to gravitate and and move around him amen not that he's asking them to the bible never sells, says that but these people join themselves to him amen so these they they provide an atmosphere of fellowship around him don't be shocked if you uh, get a ministry started or a Bible study started and everybody there is angry. It happened to me. Huh? It was just very few nice people. <laughs> you know? Everybody had problems. They come to God because they got problems. You understand what I'm saying? And so it says here in 22 verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So the first people that joined David's church were his family members. How many people start a church in their basement or in the living room? Well, the kids got to come because they can't believe mama going to preach. huh? So everybody's a spectator and the parents are embarrassed, you know. I just thought he's going to be a lawyer or something like that. I can't get over this God stuff. And so they come, but they come for whatever reason. Whatever reason they come for, they come. 
And that's the thing I'm trying to get you to understand is when God starts building a company of people around you, they come for whatever reason. Some out of curiosity. Some just because, well, that's my brother and I'm going to go. Well, I don't believe he can really preach. I'm just going to go sit there and see what happens. You understand what I'm saying? And so what your first church or your first company of people might be a mixture of people with all kinds of different motives. Amen. All kinds of different desires and, and so forth and so on. But know that God is developing something that's going to be important for your life. And that goes for, for those of you who work out in the world, those of you who uh, are, are Christians trying to live for Christ every day. God is drawing people around you and developing a company of individuals around you who are to be a support for you. If you let God do it the way he wants to do it, it'll work for you. If you try to pick and choose, exclude certain ones, include certain people, don't want this, don't want that, don't like this one, don't like that one, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Amen? Because sometimes the most loyal people can pose the biggest challenge to you. Amen? Throughout your life. And so David, it says here, his father and mother came and the brothers came, verse 2, and everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented gathered themselves to him and he became a captain over them. So this is the first army of the distressed, broke, disgruntled, grumbly, complaining. Huh? Isn't that the way it is, though? When when Moses began his ministry, everybody murmured and complained continually. Those people rarely had a, a, a time of contentment, even when God did mighty things for them. They 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 got what they needed from God and then ran back and started complaining some more. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's like that when we first get started to understand the things of God. So David had to make himself a captain or a leader over them. Why? Because there were so many of them. Somebody had to take control of the mob, so to speak, that came there and they probably fought each other, was mad at each other and, and uh, you know, did all kinds of things that, that, They felt they needed to do out of emotion, out of upset. They all had land in the nation of Israel, many of them. They didn't know what was going to happen to their land. They didn't have an ability to go back safely and tend their crops because Saul was against David. And Saul watched. He sent spies. He did everything to make sure he knew David's every move. It said, and David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. Now, this is enemy territory. And he said to the king of Moab, let my father and mother, I pray thee, come here and be with you till I know what God's going to do with me. So David then begins to sort out those who are going to, in his heart, he understands this about his parents. I don't know. I'm not certain what my future is going to be. I don't know how long I'm going to be on the run, but I know my mother and dad won't be able to handle this. And so I'm going to put them in a safe place where the enemy cannot 
hinder them and cannot hurt them. This is what we do when we pray for family members and loved ones. You bring them under household salvation because the enemy, because of the work that God's called you to do, you may have to get in some situations where you might have to tough it out. And you don't know really the outcome for them. Are they going to continue to believe God? Are they going to look at your life and not want any part of what God's doing in your life? What's going to happen to those people that I love because I'm the witness who's supposed to convince them that God's good? And so you begin to put them under your your uh, faith and under your expectation for them to be. That's their safe place. Just like David sent his parents over to the kingdom of Moab, you have to send your family members under the word and believe with everything that's in you that God is going to bring them into salvation today, right now. Don't get comfortable when they're they they're months and years not serving God. You believe it today because they need to be in that ark of safety and security so that you can go ahead and do what God wants you to do with your life. And so David gets gets that that weakness that there's something that that would draw his heart toward wanting to save his parents if they stayed in that place where the future was uncertain. So he puts them over into a place of safety where their their future is secure. He knows where they are. He knows they'll be taken care of even though it's enemy territory. David knows how to work with people of all different kinds of backgrounds and intents. And so he let them, and he let his parents stay there. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And so God is providing for David the things that he needs. He's providing the, the shelter for his loved ones. He takes all of the the difficult situations out of David's hands, everything that would make him vulnerable to attack or vulnerable. See, the thing that you've got to remember when you serve God is that the enemy will try all he can to get at your loved ones. If he can pull them in and seduce them away from God, that's what he wants to do. So you've got to be a person of strong enough faith to know that your children are serving God. They may not be serving him visible. They may not be serving him at the, at the pace you want them to. There may be things in their lives that they need, that need to be dealt with, but you've got to rest in the security. Amen. That they are servants of God and have a high vision for their service in your mind. You understand? You don't decide what they are called to do in God. Don't be satisfied if if they just know how to get a living like an average sinner does. Don't be satisfied with those. They need to be out out preaching the gospel and and winning converts and things of that nature. You've got to see them doing these things every single day. Don't quit on your vision. Keep that vision before you. Because that's their safety and that's their security. Where they are in your heart and in God's plan for their life, that's the greater safety and security that you want to build in them in God. So he sends his parents off for safekeeping because he doesn't know how things are going to go. David's got to live day to day. And so it says in verse 5, And the prophet Gad said unto David, 
abide not in the hold. In other words, don't go back to that cave. Depart and get you to the land of Judah. And then David departed and came into the forest at Harath. And so here in uh, 1 Samuel 23, if you'll turn there, we'll start in verse 1. Then they told David, Behold, the Philistines fight against Kaliah, and they rob the threshing floors. Amen. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go, smite the Philistines and save Kaliah. And David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Kaliah against the armies of the Philistines? Now this is important to know because these men that David has around him, because of their situations, are fearful people. You're not going to be able to expect much out of certain people in your life. You and, and this is the thing that we have to be careful of as believers. You may gravitate toward people because you like them for a certain reason, all of this kind of stuff. But you got to know that people around you may be very, very weak when it comes to the things that you need to have accomplished in your life. And see, God wants to fix our lives in such a way That we're not the only strong person all the time. And see, you gotta be careful. Because who wants to be weak all the time? But if you're around nothing but weaklings, what's gonna happen to you in your time of need? You understand what I'm saying? And see, it's only by allowing God to choose our army, choose our group, choose our people, that God will be able to get his plan worked in everybody's life. So you see the condition of these men when David first starts with them. They scared of everything. They don't want to they want to hide in the cave forever. Just get us a little bit of food, get us a little bit of that and we'll be fine. Now I'm not saying you got to be around people who want to be millionaires all the time, but come on now. God will choose a company for you of people who are strong just like you are, who may have needs here and there, but they're moving on towards strength. They're not going to be satisfied being weak all the time. They're not going to be satisfied just knowing one or two scriptures all the time. They're not going to be satisfied just praying the same prayers all the time. People who want to grow and want to get stronger. That's what God is developing with people, with his people worldwide, every, everywhere. You see people now, they're sick of seeing, looking at the news every night and seeing people talk about killing babies after they're born. So this is why you see more people getting involved in the pro-life movement. You see people, God is, is shaking Planned Parenthood's tree. And guess who got shook out? A bunch of Christians. You understand what I'm saying? Doing abortions. And so when he shook that tree, and isn't that what we pray? That that the workers in abortion, God would cleanse their minds so they can do his will and not do the will of the devil forever. And the first people that got exposed are God's people. Well, judgment begins on his house. You got me? And so when we understand about the strength of people and weakness of people, 
These are people who God has chosen to be people of strength. He has chosen all of his people to be people of strength and power. People who will confront evil like the, the persecuted people we we talk. You know, you secretly you wish, oh, God, don't let that ever happen to me. But then you think to yourself, well, why not me? Why not? Why, do, why wouldn't I have to confront people who support abortion in my own congregation? Or in the people that I'm friends with or wherever I am. Why wouldn't I have to confront people like that? And so when we think about how people start out in weakness. Everything's okay. And, oh, that's all right. Yeah, it's not that bad. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's weakness, folks. People who will uh, tolerate everything are just that. They're tolerant. God wants people who will take a stand. So David starts out with all these scary men. They said in verse 3, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keliah and the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise and go down to Keliah. In other words, I didn't bite my tongue the first time and I have not changed my mind this time. Amen. He said, go down and I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keliah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle, smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keliah. So this is how David and his first army get fed. They get fed by fighting these Philistine strongholds. They go in and take everything that they have. And they survive that way. This is their practice training for being eventually the greatest army in the nation of Israel. Amen. It's doing these little skirmishes here and little skirmishes there. And that's the way God trains us. We, You get trained on a headache before you go out in the streets and tell somebody who has cancer that God will heal them when you pray for them. You see what I'm saying? And when you understand that God is building in you a strength and a power and a defiance against the plan of the enemy, then you begin to take on greater strength and greater strength and greater strength and greater strength. So David starts out with this disgruntled group of people in debt, you know. If you're in debt, many churches won't even let you sign up as a member. They don't want to see you because they preach the broke people out. Amen. No, you can't be a mother. If you ain't tithing, you can't be a member here. Huh? Now, this is a a debt-free church. Huh? Why? They don't want any poor people in there. They want you to scatter and only the wealthy ones are left to make life easy for them. Amen. A true leader will accept you where you are and begin to encourage you and teach you so that you can have faith in God, that he will pay your bills, number one, that he'll get you a job, number two, that he will pay, let you pay your bills on time. He'll let you buy a home. He'll let you have, you know, the things that you need out of life. So this was the kind of leader David was. He started out with all of these people that were very undesirable. Even to King Saul, he could care less if those men were missing. And so the, the nobodies, the uh, is, uh, the politicians say the forgotten men and women, that's who God builds an army out of, folks. 
those that nobody wants, nobody cares about, and nobody's looking out for. So don't be surprised if the company God brings you to is pretty much just like you. (laughs) Amen. In many ways. The Bible says a good high priest is able to identify with the people he ministers to. If you're, if the person that's, that's over your money's got all these fancy cars and drives a Bentley and got it, he don't know nothing about how you live. And don't want to know nothing about it. And could care less if you stayed in a congregation or if you left. But see, David had to embrace everybody that God drew around him. And this is the important thing. If you let your your associations be limited to what God draws around you, what does God approve of? What do you have peace about on the inside of you, about the the group that you or your company, the ones that you, you hang with, your buddies, the ones you kick it with, whatever. I know Rachel said they don't say that anymore, but whatever they say, Baba, uh, they don't say that anymore. Huh? I barely got the tea right. Oh, how was that tea? Ooh, that was strong tea. Whatever. I don't know. Iced tea. Whatever. I don't know. Anyhow, I'm reading my Bible. I don't care about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> so David inquired of the Lord. Now, it's interesting how after he inquired about God the second time, he got people to follow him. Uh-huh. Don't be afraid to pray twice about something. Uh-huh. Don't get defensive about what God told you one time. Uh-huh. You know, it's good to say, you know what, y'all? I could be wrong. That looked a little testy to me, too. I'm scared just like you are. Maybe I should go back a second time and inquire of the Lord again and make sure I heard correctly. Nothing wrong with that. It seemed that after the second time and David said, okay, that those men followed him. Amen. And they would wind up being a very, very powerful force in the nation of Israel. David, of course, drew people who were like him because he was distressed, but he was also destined for greatness. Know that when you're destined for greatness, God wants everybody in your company to have greatness too. You got me? And when I see saying greatness, I mean accomplishment in God. You know, I'm not talking about everybody's got to be a millionaire and have three and four cars and, you know, hot and cold running everything. It's nice. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with it. But we have to make sure that we define greatness in the same way that God does. And that really means, greatness really means to accomplish well the things that God has set before you to do. All of them. The small ones and the big ones. Don't pick and choose what you like to do. Grow up. You know? I mean, when you make initial assignments to people in a church, you got to find what, if they screw their mouth up when you tell them to roll their eyes when you tell them to do something. Huh? Y'all know what I'm talking about because y'all done done it. Huh? Some of y'all still doing it. You understand what I'm saying? 
but you try and accommodate people, you know. <laughs> it's not about what you like. It's about what challenges you. See, it's hard to get people to see that. Even in your associations, it's not the people that you think are nice and they always smile. They speak back when I speak. And sometimes if I don't speak, they run up to me and ask me what's wrong. You see how your soul can get you in trouble? Huh? It's so easy. It's best to keep relationships on a good a good uh, understanding. I remember when we first started the ministry, and, uh, you know, you always get complaints from people. Someone so don't like me. And I said, well, are they willing to pray with you when we get together for prayer? Yeah, they do that. Well, they like you. They like you enough for me. Because to me, that's all important is we do God's work when we get together. Huh? Nobody told you to go home with them. Nobody told you to, you know, that's the worst thing in the world to do sometimes, to go home with people you just met because you go see something you don't like. Got real quiet right there. How about that? Huh? You know, the bathroom wasn't clean enough. Or dishes in the sink. The way they talk around church, you think they had selling, 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 selling. They just got some, some reworked old furniture sitting up there. Quit going to people's house. Huh? You, seriously. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Everybody can find out something they had no business knowing about people. Huh? Shouldn't have been up in there no way. Stay home. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, we went out to dinner. I told him I'd treat. Mistake. They got the most expensive thing on. <laughs> well, you knew that was going to happen. Seriously. We got to know how to relate to one another. Stay out of people business. Huh? Stay out of, stay out of their closets, stay out their vehicles, stay out their, huh? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, honey. <laughs> So when David drew people, they were just like him. You gotta understand that's your first group of friends, they're people just like you. Huh? That's to get you to quit complaining about them. Huh? So every time you get ready to say something mean, you think, well, I do that too. Huh? That's I'm with the right people. And see, everybody wants to outgrow everybody and move on to nicer people. But I'm here to tell you, it ain't none out there. Uh People are people wherever you go. (laughs) So here they are, fearful, disgruntled, in the flesh, carnal, as we say. 
And then if you turn to First Chronicles 11. That would be a good heaven and hell background sound if I could, if I could go there. I guess I can. We hear the French fries frying out there. Oh, it's a good day for you. Good day to be saved. Think about all the people that can't get ice water no more. All right, First Chronicles chapter ten. It says, these also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. Um, they talk about the guy who's the chief of the captains. He lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Doto, the Ahaohite, who was one of the three mighties. He was with David at Postumim, and, and there the Philistines were gathered together to battle. There was a parcel of ground full of barley, and the people fled from before the Philistines. And they set themselves in the midst of that parcel and delivered it, slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them through a great deliverance. Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David and to the cave of Dullam and the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of uh, Rephaim. Now that's where only two of the, the mighty men that were with David's company. So this is how a company develops into an army. Those around you eventually will have to support you as you confront enemies in your life. As you confront situations in your life, there will be a company of people that God will put around you that goes from being very weak, ignorant people to developing into a mighty army in God. And you got to be careful that you don't infuse your own company with weakness based on your soulish desire to have people around you who don't measure up to what God says they're supposed to do you got me because in your time of trouble you're going to start to lean on people for words advice prayer and if you're not discerning and you have not cultivated relationship with the proper people your little stuff is going to be very very shaky because god is going to shake that to shake people out of your life that shouldn't be there There are people we're depending on. You notice the first thing David did was put mama and daddy someplace else. Huh? They might be your your weakness right there in hiding if you try to keep them too close as far as being your support and your company. So you have to let, what did Jesus say? They say, your mom and your your kid, your brothers and everybody calling for you. He said, who are my family except these people who are standing here? In other words, I don't abandon my company that God has given me for family trying to call me and have some kind of special place in my life. 
It makes you very unpopular with certain people, but you'll stand in the evil day. You'll be able to be that person who's still serving God, who's still being productive for God, who's still, I mean, seriously, that's important. It's important to me. I mean, when you're young and you're just getting started, it may not be the most important thing to you. But the longer you serve God, you'll look back and see all the people that have run through your life and the ones that you thought were going to be helps to you, the ones that you thought were going to be here. I can't tell you the people that told me in Detroit that when my husband died, oh, if you need anything ever, just call me. They're not here. You understand what I'm saying? They left as soon as something else that they wanted to do came about. So you don't go on people's words for anything. You gotta trust God above all things, folks. You gotta trust Him. In Acts chapter 3, don't keep company with weakness, folks. And when when I say that, I mean, you know, people that that you may depend on to to encourage or something like that. If you see that's not their thing, then God doesn't want you, you know, barking up that tree. Sometimes you really just need to listen to God. He'll bring the person you need to do what you need to do. I've done this before. If If people come and go and they come and go and they stick around and stay, generally God's bringing them back. People who leave and don't come back, God got them out of here. Amen. They didn't fit in and, and or they used to fit in and chose not to fit in anymore. You know, that happens to people. So you don't keep company with weakness and it's not for you to judge what's weak and what's not. But if, if there's if it's proven that they're not going to be there and they're not going to be the one to do that particular. Now, the other thing is, too, some people have strength in other areas. You not, may not be able to depend on them for certain things that you might have need of from time to time, but they do have strengths in other areas. So I'm not saying abandon people, but just learn how to listen to God for who you depend on for different things. So Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, they heal this man that was sitting out in front of the gate beautiful. He'd been sitting there forever, all his life apparently. and. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. So when when the man got up and went in the temple perfectly healed, that opened the door for Peter to preach, to explain how this man was healed. And so Peter then gives glory to God. He says that, that he was healed in the name of Jesus. And in verse 19, Peter says something else. After he begins to explain the name of Jesus and through faith in his name, that's how this man was healed. He tells the crowd that's there, he says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, this is real important because Peter's there and people are looking up to him, think he's wonderful. He says, no, don't look at us as though our godliness or holiness caused this man to... He's fighting fame. He's fighting crowd pressure to be somebody and to let it be about him. If you're going to stay with the the right company of people, it cannot be about you. You have to make sure that God is first and foremost in what he wants to have done, 
you can get that done because God has placed that before you to do. It, it can't be. A, once it starts to get and see, the devil will work you to get you to let it be about you. He'll start having people show up. If you need anything, just call me, just call me, call me, and then pretty soon they're sick of you. You understand what I'm saying? And so you have to be careful to listen to God and not let it be about you. Because it would be nice to have somebody like that in your life that you can depend on for every little thing. But people wear out and people get tired and people want to go do something else sometimes. Amen. And so so just keep that in mind. Don't take it personally. The devil tried to get it to be about you, but don't you let it get to be about you amen you let it let it get to be about what god wants in your life and so here peter told that crowd to repent well that went over real big peter that's going to make you real popular here you're preaching the same thing john the baptist preached you and you see what happened to him you're preaching the same thing jesus preached you see what happened to him but a minute ago these people thought you were wonderful Huh? Imagine how somebody like Benny Hinn thinks. You know, he's got to stay there and stay humble and continue to serve God and not let all this buzz go to his head. Them people are not there for him. They're there for what they can receive from God. And so you have to keep that in mind. And even those people who serve God on our level, you got to keep that in mind. It's not about you. It's about God. And he says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted. Call these people sinners when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, who before you was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. And so. Peter puts himself in jeopardy, amen, with his preaching. Things are going well, but then they start to take a little bit of a nosedive. If you turn over to Acts chapter 4, it says in verse, I start in verse 1. As they spoke to the people, the priests and certain ones in the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in a hold unto the next day. That's, that's jail, for it was now at evening. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number that believed was over 5,000 men. And so Peter, taking that opportunity, I see Ministers will tell you healing is the dinner bell for salvation. And and think how many people, if that's really true, and I believe it is, it's borne out in scripture. You see it right here. If that's true, how is it that we got 90% of people who witness don't know how to heal the sick? So can you wonder why they're... Their message, testimony goes flat, wanting to lead people to the Lord leads almost to nowhere. Now, you can get a few converts like that. You can get a few people curious to come to your church or whatever it is. 
But the full gospel is what God wants preached everywhere at all times. He doesn't want us doing a little bit here and a little bit there. That's why it's easy for you to go up with a church with a shirt that says need prayer and people follow you and ask for prayer instead of you. You know, you think and without that, huh? you stop people and they are. Because you can invite them into the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ is healer, savior, deliverer. They don't feel like they're giving their life up for nothing because they know your God is a powerful God. And so this is the way the gospel is supposed to be presented. And if presented as the full gospel, then people will come in flocks and droves because it's proven all over the world. You look at the the evangelist Benny Hinn's one, Reinhard Bonnke's another one. There are others of them who have the total message of Jesus Christ as healer and savior. But if you think about it, that one man that was healed got up and gave his testimony in the temple, opened the door for Peter to preach the gospel, and 5,000 people in that city got saved. That's the power of the full gospel. That's the power you and I have in us every day. But see, we're always being convinced by the enemy that it's not going to work. They're not going to want prayer. You know what I learned how to do this with myself is not think on certain things. You can't sit there and entertain the idea that somebody won't. you got to carry with you all the time they will. And if they don't, what difference does it make? I'm going to do it anyway. You understand what I'm saying? Your life is not your own. And see, the problem we've had with, with people with different company is that we have company that in the church that has constantly discouraged us from wanting to go forth and, and fulfill the Great Commission. Just do what Jesus told us to do. So what do we do then? We get in the church and we start fighting each other, backbiting each other, and want to prophesy to each other and give each other wrong words and fortune telling, all that kind of crazy stuff. We make this a playground instead of a place where you come in and get filled and go out and reach the world. And we should be reaching more people. We should be more enthusiastic about what we do. We should be more encouraged about what we do. You know, you you don't have to wait for us to go in a group. You put on that little green T-shirt. That's your T-shirt. You put that on anytime you want to go out and pray for people and tell them you need to go to church now and learn about Christ and what he can do. Don't let them go back out into the world. Amen. Encourage them to be in a place where they need. I don't want to do that, you know. Oh, Pastor Bar, she kind of rough on people. Yeah. What's been said? Huh? So don't give me that. But go out and do it. Amen. I forgive all y'all ex-backbiters. Uh-huh. But go out and do what God told you to do. You understand? Because see, if we don't do that, that's what we do to each other. We bite and we kill each other if we don't go out and do what God. Because that mouth of yours, if you don't direct it and use it for good, you're going to use it against somebody. Sit up there and try to act all innocent. Huh? So 5,000 were saved on one miracle. One miracle. You don't have to have 10 people 
that got healed under your ministry to know how to go and win the lost on the power of God that works for you. I'm looking at some of these younger ministers. I'm thinking to myself, Lord have mercy. They know three scriptures, but they got a crowd of 5,000 people. Why? People are thirsty. People are hungry. People want water. People want food. And so when you give them water and give them food, if you do it consistently, you'll have a bunch of people sitting there looking for the next drink. And you better know what the next drink is. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) So in 4, Acts chapter 4, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in the hole. Many of them believed, and it was 5,000, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So see, the high priest got his boys. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or what name have you done this? Now, this is religion. They want to imitate. They think they don't think you've got knowledge and relationship. They think it's just some hocus pocus. And if you give them the right phrase to say, they can do exactly what you do. Huh? That's a problem with religion. It wants to bypass instructions from God and mandate from God and go right to the kill. Let me do what you do because I want that crowd. I want that influence. Whatever it is that turns them on about what you're doing, that's what they're after. They're not after serving God. So the religious crowd gathered around against Peter. And it says here, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel. See, they asked them by what power. And when Peter spoke up, he showed them what power. You don't have to give no answer. Just open your mouth and let God preach through you. Amen. They say, what power? And the Holy Ghost showed up on Peter's words. He says, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you killed, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you whole. For this is the stone which the builder set at not, which was set at not by you builders, which has become the head of the, the corner. So in other words, people may reject you, but that has nothing to do with God's plan for your life. If you continue and follow God, amen, it'll pan out. Drop down to verse 24 and it says here, verse 23, and being let go. Hmm. If preaching the gospel will get you in trouble, keep preaching it. It'll get you out of trouble. It says, and being let go, they went to their own company, their own, their own company, which became an army. Amen. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now, this is interesting. Peter is already been threatened by the religious people in the city. If he had stayed around religious people, amen, where do you think he would be? He eventually got into compromise anyway, but if he had stayed, it's like, we see people all the time. We used to see it more. We would do the buses and, and go to different meetings and stuff, go to Benny Hinn. You see people go and go up in the line. Remember, they would call for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or they call, they say, if somebody in the, who in the, in the house has the power of the Holy Ghost, lay hands on that person that has their hand raised. Let them receive the gift of tongues. And they get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Then go back to the dead church they came from. Amen. And then get put on the enemies list. Never pray in tongues again. Never do anything for God. Never develop in anything. See, when God endows you with a gift, he always has a new company to help support and strengthen that gift. You don't go back to that old company. That he's trying to deliver you for. The reason you went to Benny Hinn was because you couldn't get healed in your church. The reason God brought you out of there so that you could know that he did did want you well and he healed you. The reason people go. You know, some people just curious. They just want to go and see what that's about. And they wind up, God touches their heart. Just like these men that were there, the 5,000 that got saved under Peter's preaching. They were just there in the crowd. In the temple, they were religious people before they heard the gospel. Many religious people, they just followed a big crowd. That's what religion does. you got to be in that, oh, Benny Hinn, let's go. I've been a supporter of Benny Hinn. You ain't sent him a dime. But you get on them buses and you go with all them other people. You understand? what I'm, I'm a part of his ministry. I've been with Benny Hinn. I've been, you know, all that. They want to be a part of something. And then God shows you what Benny Hinn is all about. Huh? First book he ever wrote was what? Good morning, Holy Spirit. So he wants to introduce everybody to the power of the Holy Spirit. And they go and get it. And they get intimidated and go right back in that same dead hole they came from. And let them religious demons pick them apart and steal it from them. If you've been gifted with no apologies, you got to have a new company. You understand what that supports that and won't let you die. So Peter and John, they, they go back to their own company. And their own company in verses 24 through 29, what did they pray? Number one, your army should be people of prayer. People don't pray talk too much. They do. I've noticed that. Just, I mean, it might be me. But. You know, they'll keep going. Rah, rah, rah. I said, well, why don't we pray? Says here. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in it, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the heathen rage? Your army will give you the word, folks. And they will pray the word over you. And they said, now wait a minute. 
Why are the heathen out there raging? The people have made God sitting up there laughing at these people, Peter. Don't be scared of these people. God ain't scared of them. And you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You ain't scared of them either. Just slip over into God where there's no fear. Huh? And he says in verse 29, and now. Behold their threatenings, Lord. Look at how they persecute me, threatening me, threatening to take my job, threatening to take my house, threatening. And lift up your hand to heal. Give us the power to preach with more boldness. The right company will give you more of what you got in trouble for. Not try to hide you away from persecution or trouble. Amen. They will encourage you to continue on the right road where God has you and not listening to your whinings and cryings. And we got put in jail and we just no, you got put in jail because your boldness ran out. You got to get more and go back at it again. Get more boldness to preach more and expect more from God this time. Huh? Let the signs and wonders continue. Don't let them diminish. The reason the church is going through some of the persecution we're going through now is we stayed silent and hoped that the people that were making advances against us would go away. And they haven't gone anywhere. They got louder, crazier, and bolder. Amen. And so if they could get bolder, we can get even more bolder. Amen. Amen. Your company will be your army. Remember that. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, word. Thank you for boldness that comes to us as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we honor you and we love you. And we pray that you will be the God of all flesh with nothing being too hard for you. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God.